Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And welcome to another episode here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 183. Unfortunately, another setback for Tiger Woods. I'm not sure when you are listening to this episode, but it was recorded the day of Tiger's car accident in California on February 24th, 2021. As you'll hear in the beginning of this conversation that I had with my guest, we really didn't know much about his condition, and it just didn't seem natural to completely avoid the topic. Thankfully, as we all found out later that evening, Tiger was in stable condition despite suffering severe leg injuries. News changes and travels at the speed of light these days, so obviously there have been several updates to this news story since this episode has posted, but one thing that I can say that will never be outdated and will never be old news, I wish nothing but the best for Tiger, his family, not just in golf, but in life, and hope that he gets well soon. My guest on this episode is the 2018 U.S. Mid-Ambitor runner-up, Brett Boner. I had a chance to meet Brett at the East-West matches at Merido last year. If you remember, there were some incredible amateur resumes on property during that tournament. Walker Cuppers, U.S. Senior Amateur Champions, guys that played in the Masters. It was incredibly impressive. Now, Brett didn't have a ton of USGA championships to his name, but not because he doesn't have the skill. You don't win the Anderson Memorial and take down Stuart Hagestan in match play if you don't have game. But Brett was a former pro that toiled on the mini tours, and when he finally decided enough was enough, he really didn't know much about the mid-ambitor circuit that he was about to embark on. So we spoke about his accomplishments as an amateur, especially that crazy run in the 2018 U.S. Mid, and we also talked about his days as a pro and his beloved Auburn Tigers. We're on kind of a run here lately with Auburn, by the way. Grayson Huff, Jonathan Dismuke, and now my guest on this episode, Brett Boner. Brett, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is this is pretty neat. Well, hey, man, I'm glad to have you. There's lots of things we're going to talk about, uh, you know, with your amateur career and professional career. But, you know, the reality mm-hmm. is t- today's February 23rd in the afternoon. And, you know, news, I don't know when this episode is going to be released. So I guess at this point we can just say what we know. Tiger Woods was involved in a one-car car accident in California this morning. And I, I'm kind of you know, a little bit shooken up about what's going on. And I just was kind of curious. You're the first person that I've really spoken to about this at length. I mean, Tiger Woods has been around for, for just seems like forever. It's almost like it just absolutely stops the golf world right now. Yeah, I would agree. It It is very concerning. Um, I think there are millions and millions of people, not just in the U.S., but around the globe that are interested in this. Um, I, I can't imagine the number of text messages that have flown around between Verizon and AT&T and other carriers, um, since about three o'clock today. Um, I know that, um, I was getting fired upon with, with all kinds of stuff and you just, you know, you hope that it was, um, just an unfortunate car accident and that he's okay. You know, I know he had a big week last week, um, hosting the Genesis. I know he just had back surgery again. Um, and you you really just just hope for the guy and his family that that it was um, a 
a simple uh, unfortunate car accident that unfortunately is going to cause some surgeries it sounds like but that he can he can be okay i mean the the golf world needs him um and you love the story of the comeback right i mean i i'll be the, one of the first to admit that um i told many friends that um prior to the episode uh in in orlando um when with he and and, and elon um, and then all the stuff that came out after that, before that, you know, Tiger's head and his conscious was completely clear and standing over a three or five footer or seven footer. There's no one else you'd want to put that in the world. And I said, it's going to be hard for him to overcome that because, uh, you know, he's for the first time in his life, he's probably has a conscious. Yeah. Um, and you, it showed for a little while and then he came back and he beat it. And that's just an incredible story. And my wife and I actually just watched the documentary two weekends ago. Um, which was eye-opening as well, and just a lot of things you never knew. Um, but hopefully he's okay. Yeah. No, I I was thinking back. Actually, was thinking what was my first. I'm thinking back back to what was my first recollection of of Tiger Woods, and I'm thinking mine was, you know, oddly enough, he beat a uh, he beat Steve Scott in the '96 U.S. Amateur at Pumpkin Ridge, mm-hmm. and Steve Scott and I actually went to rival high schools down here in South Florida. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how I was introduced to the mania yep. of Tiger Woods. Do you remember what your first introduction was to Tiger Woods? Well, growing up and playing golf since I was very young, um, I think my dad got me started when I was four years old. But when I started playing tournament golf at, at 12, I think I think Tiger's two years younger than me. He's either two or three. I think his birthday is December the 30th and mine's December 31st. Okay. So I knew it was it's either two or three. Um, so you obviously knew who he was and, and heard all about him. And then, um, I didn't play a whole lot of, um, from a small town in Alabama, I didn't give an opportunity to play in a whole lot of AJGA events, but that, if you could get in them, you took advantage of them. Um, there was a tournament down in new Orleans. Um, I think it was called the U S the U S F and G, um, at English turn. And I was paired with tiger when I was 16. And really? so I think he was, four, I think he was 14. And, um, my mother and my grandmother took me to New Orleans for this tournament and was paired with him for the first two days. And Earl was there and Tiger didn't play that well. Um, bunch of guys, not me, uh, went out to bourbon street and they were, I think they were told not to. And some guys got in trouble. (laughs) No, I think Tiger went with, I think Tiger went with them. I don't think he was doing anything that he wasn't supposed to be doing. I just think he was tagging along for the ride. If I can remember correctly, I think he was with them, but um, Earl wasn't very happy, and um, <laughs> Tiger didn't play that well that week. And uh, my mother and I s- kind of saw firsthand the, the pressure that Tiger was under, not just on himself, but from his dad. So it was interesting. Um, that that was my first my first really um, introduction to that. And then we were paired with Stanford a lot when I was in school at Auburn in 1994. In 95, it seemed that we were paired with them a whole lot. And um, I got paired with them only once during that time. But I remember we were playing in Hawaii, and I had never played in wind like we were playing in um, in this specific tournament. And I'm pretty sure I didn't break 80, and there weren't many people that did that day. I mean, blowing sideways, 35, 40 miles an hour. And I believe Tiger shot 71 or 72, and it, it was at least six shots clear of the next guy. It was incredible. Um, and then, you know, that that's when he was probably 18. Wow. So. 
Well, like, yeah, like, okay. yeah, like you said, I hope he's okay. And, and, you know, obviously people listening to this podcast, like I said, it's recorded February 23rd and really all we know is he was in an accident and he's in surgery. So all the best, yep. uh, all the best to Tiger. But you mentioned growing up in, in Alabama, getting your start there in junior golf, you know, not to, we're definitely going to talk about your, your alma mater, uh, Auburn university. But before we, we get to that, I just wanted to, you know, obviously, with I, which I do with every single guest, get an idea of how golf became such a, a integral part of your life and how you got into the game. Tell me about growing up in Alabama and, and what led you to golf. Yeah, so I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama. Um, and funny enough, I was forwarded one of Eric Church's new singles called Leonard Skinner Jones over the weekend. And he mentions um, that this fictional character of Leonard Skinner Jones grew up in Gadsden, Alabama. And so all my, okay. all my buds, all my buds back at home are pretty pumped that <laughs> um, Gadsden, Alabama is being put on the map, so to speak right now. Um, small town. Um, you know, my dad uh, was a traveling, traveling salesman, um, but played golf on the weekends. And uh, he started taking me out early and we were members of this little terrible little club uh in the sticks so to speak it's a vast and you know with the golf carts that didn't have the 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 tops on them and um it was next to this big big creek and when it rained heavily the back nine was always closed so um we would we would you know round the front nine a few times but um he would just always take me and then i just i just kind of had this more of a less a natural golf swing and and um, fell in love with the game. Uh, but I, I did play baseball um, until I was 12 years old, made the all-star team when I was 12. And uh, the same summer I made the all-star team, I was invited and got into the, the tournament down in Dothan, Alabama, called the Future Masters. Sure, yeah. And growing up in Alabama, you, you always heard about this tournament. And you're like, man, if I could just play in that. And I had to make a decision. And I decided that summer that I was going to uh, stop playing little league and wow. go to Dothan and play in this tournament. And, and that really kind of started me on, okay, golf might be a serious part of my life. Um, always played basketball too. I played basketball all through high school, um, for my school. And, um, but golf was, golf was it. And that's what I wanted to do. But I, you know, I got to owe it to my dad and, and you know, as I, as I got older and at that 12, 13, 14 years old, um, I'd go every weekend with him and I'd stay at the club all day. And, and, and by the, but when I started, you know, breaking 76, 77, I guess, 75, somewhere in that time frame, you know, I started playing with his, his buddies yeah, and it was, yeah. you know, dollar, dollar, $2 Nassau's. And I thought it was <laughs> just crazy that I might go home with $8 in my pocket uh-huh. or six bucks in my pocket, or it was the end of the world. If I had to pay out six oh, bucks, sure. my dad made me right. Yeah. How um, many, I mean, can you, so, how many days can you remember just like having to give some old guy four bucks and you crying and leaving? No, it was tough. It yeah. was very tough. I'm like, I'm like, Dad, can I cut the grass tomorrow again? <laughs> I just cut yesterday <laughs> to make some money, <laughs> make my money back. But um, no. It, it, but you know what's what's funny is even even as as of last year, I, I heard my dad um, from multiple times tell me he wishes that he would have given me a hundred dollars every now and then or whatever, and told me to go play the best guy at our club. And l- really learn how to put, you know, play under pressure yeah. at that earlier age, yeah. not just for a dollar or two dollars, even though that was pressure. But like he really wishes he was, you know, and, and I, I guess that doesn't sound that good that he was teaching me how to gamble. But 
Um, most people know that there's a little money on the line usually for golf, but there's a rumor. He, he does. There's he, a rumor. Yeah, there's a rumor. Um, but he said, he said, I wish I would have, I would have, you know, kind of set that up for you. And even guys at other clubs in other towns and, um, you know, you had a limit of a hundred bucks and I said, I'll cover you and we'll see what happens. And, and I think, I think that would have done you even better. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. I love the stories <laughs> of growing up at the little, at the little clubs that are really ratty and I'm sure, I mean, I'm guessing those range balls are the white ones with the red stripe, right? The big red fat stripe down the middle that are just absolute rocks, right? I'm not. Ben, I don't think we, I don't oh. think we had range or range balls at that first club. Oh, okay, that, um, my bad, my bad. I, I, I play, I play that. So I think it was a huge upgrade and privilege um, when we joined the other the other in town club, um, which was which was cool. And yes, it had the big old range balls with the red stripes and a lot of gashes in them, and um, they didn't necessarily fly straight. Yeah, well, that's not that's not overly important. So so I'm looking at the map here because you know, forgive me, I'm not. Uh, an expert on uh, the, the layout of, of cities and where Gadsden sits, but I'm looking at Gadsden, and mm-hmm. it's it's basically northeast of Tuscaloosa, and it's pretty much north northwest of Auburn. So obviously, we know what school you ended up going to. You went to Auburn, mm-hmm. and I know that it means a lot to you still to this day. But advise me and perhaps our listeners as to how one becomes a Alabama fan and how one becomes an Auburn fan. And, you know, I'm looking geographically pretty similar. How I'm guessing there's no question you're, you're an Auburn guy, but how does that make that? How does that happen? It's a great question. Um, as most people around the country know, it is, it is, it is an awful and rabid yeah. rivalry. Um, and growing up in the state, you do at an early age, just kind of tend to, to lean toward one of them. Um, sometimes you lean softly and sometimes you lean real hard. And, and I, I was one that got it honestly, um, and, and leaned hard into it. My, uh, both my parents went to Auburn that's where they met. Um, and great story and, and really cool that they met there. And then my sister went there before me. And so, as I was getting decent at golf, um, and it was a chance that we thought, you know, maybe I could play college golf somewhere. Uh, the dream is to go to Auburn. Um, and I didn't really look at a whole lot of other schools. Like I said, I didn't play in a whole lot of AJJ events. So I probably wasn't on many people's radar. I I, I did a visit to, I did an unofficial visit to Georgia, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, um, went those, uh, got some letters from other schools. And then I got a, um, I got a call and a letter from the golf coach at West Point um, my senior year, and um, he came down. He drove from upstate New York to Gadsden, Alabama. Wow! And sat and sat um, in our living room, and um, you know, sold me on West Point. And he's like, "I'd love for you to come visit." And I'm thankful that I went and visited in January because there was about four to six inches of snow on the ground. Perfect. And, um, Revelry went off and it was five thirty in the morning, I think, and we had to get up and I went outside and watched watched them do their their calisthenics and and um all that and the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times was at the doorstep of everyone. And I remember if you were a plebe or a first year, at any point during the day, somebody could ask you about what was on the front page of one of those newspapers. So what did Gorbachev talk about in the, in, right. you know, in the G8 summit or whatever? And if you didn't know it, then you, it wasn't good for you. 
and I went to class with them and all that. And I was highly impressed, but then I land back in Birmingham, Alabama and on that January day. And it was about 65 or 70 degrees. And I thought, what am, you know, I can't, if I love golf, I can't go uh-uh. to West Point. Uh-uh. <laughs> but I, I, did get, I, I did get appointed by my senators and, um, it was, that was a cool honor. Um, but I thankfully played some good golf that spring and, and the Auburn golf coach offered me, you know, some scholarship. So made my decision a lot easier. Yeah. I was going to say like, that all sounds really good. And Hey, I love this country just as much as, uh, you know, the next person, but man, that, I, yep. I mean, I, I have a buddy that, that went to West Point and, like, that doesn't sound fun. I hate to hate to. Yeah, throw that that's that, that doesn't sound like a typical college experience. Now you mentioned you get this no. offer. You mentioned you get this offer by the coach at Auburn. Um, think back. Were you remotely playing it cool and be like, yeah, interesting, Auburn, yeah, yeah, nice, or were you just like, yeah, where do I sign? I, I can't remember it. Um, <laughs> my my parents told me I had a telephone call, and oh. it was Coach Mike Griff. It was Coach Mike Griffin, and he said, hey. He always said, Hey, Padna. Um, but he said, Hey, Padna, it's Coach Griffin. You want to become an Auburn Tiger? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Cool. I said, I'm in. <laughs> so, that's all, all, um, all you it, need. Yeah. He, he said, I'll send you the paperwork soon. And um, it was it was a done deal for me. And it was, it was, I was so ecstatic um, growing up, that huge fan. I mean, 1982, my parents took me to the first Auburn-Alabama game, um, which was Bo Jackson's first game. Uh, I was game. just going to say, that, that's, uh, is that over the top uh, on the turf? Is that the game? That was, yep. Yep, oh. that's when we, they broke the streak. We went to the Sugar game. Bowl that year. Um, went to the Sugar Bowl. I remember going back to the hotel where all the players were. My dad was taking pictures with Bo and Lionel James, Little oh. Train James, and we, we still got pictures to this day of them, and he got them to sign them later on. And um, So, I, I mean, I was – just huge orange and blue, um, in, in my family. And, um, I still love them to this day. I, I, I take it too seriously at times, and but that's just part of the rivalry. Let's see. I do not know the answer to this question. So we'll just throw it out there. True or false. You still have a golf bag, golf shirt, something from your days on the Auburn golf team. True or false? True. Okay. What is it? All of the above. <laughs> okay. You have everything. You have everything. And in fact, we had some of the most god awful uh, uniforms one year. Do you remember when Phil Mickelson was wearing the fairway, the fairway blues. And blues? Fairway blues. Yeah, oh. yeah. We had we we had those one year where it had the tie dye, uh-huh. um, the tie dye shirts and the, like the tiger print, and um, it, they were awful. And you've never seen you've never seen people make so much fun of us as a team. But we we kicked butt that year, though. I, I remember that. <laughs> Because when I when I think of tie dye and hippies and Grateful Dead, I think of Auburn, Alabama. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that don't fly, man. You got to be out in the desert being so college to pull that off. That's great though. Yeah. No, oh, I gosh. still got the golf bags and uh, some of the uniforms in my parents' closet back home, and um, some of the hats. And yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned now you talk about playing Auburn. Now we talked a little bit before we started recording, but you, um, you know, I actually spoke with Grayson Huff, uh, who is a current mm-hmm. Auburn Tiger, just won the uh, Patriot yep. All American at the end of uh, 2020, and he right. alluded to just um, you know having some time playing with uh, Mr. Duffner, probably yep. one of the uh, <laughs> more well known. Uh, collegiate stars that come out of Auburn along, you know, obviously I'm thinking about Patton Kazire uh, more, more, more recently, but you were a yeah. teammate of Duffner and without walking you through everything uh, of your experience at, at Auburn, but I'm guessing you probably saw things in him 
that it did not surprise you to see him succeed at the next level. Perhaps things that you didn't have in your game or the way you approached your your collegiate golf. Is there something you can remember seeing in him that was like, that's that's a little different than what how I operate? Oh, that's a really good question, Ben, because um, there's a lot there. Um, first off, I was, in my mind, and most people, especially my parents probably, I was an underachiever collegiate golfer. Um, I probably had a lot of talent, but had a lot of other interests. And I was, I was enjoyed meeting a lot of different people at school, um, hung out with different guys in different fraternities. I just, I loved kind of that life too. Sure. And, and that probably didn't help, um, with one, my performance two probably some cohesiveness with my teammates. Um, and you know, a lot of those guys, uh, just eat, sleep and breathe golf. And that just, that wasn't me necessarily. And so my third year, I believe it was my third year. Uh, yeah. Coach told us, Hey, I got this guy. I was told about that. Um, I needed to give a shot as a walk on. And, you know, we probably rolled our eyes and whatever. Why do we, why do we, why do we need another body in our, in our team meetings or on practice or qualifying or whatnot? And, um, he said, I'm going to give him a shot. And I don't remember that the exact parameters he set up, but it was something along the lines of, you know, if he shoots X over the next few rounds, or if he does this or that, then I'm going to give him a bag. And it was, I don't know how long later, but let's call it a few weeks or a month later. And this guy walks in and he's on our team. He got a bag. His name's Jason Duffner. And no one, no one really knew anything about him at all. He didn't look like a golfer really. Um, whatever that means. Um, and you know, he's just a little different and Jason likes to be different. Um, I mean, everybody knows you got the, what's it called? What's the verb, the duff, duffing or duffering? Duffering. Yeah. Duffering. Yeah. And that's Jason. And, um, but Jason is one of the kindest souls. He's, he's one of the funniest guys you ever met. He's, he, he can be probably hard to get to know by some people. Um, once you get to know him, um, he's, he's truly just a a great dude with an incredible sense of humor and he's really smart. Um, very smart guy, but you know, nobody had any expectations of this guy and no one was at that point in time, which there was a ton of competitiveness on our golf team, a lot of strife. Um, it was just very competitive because there were a lot of pretty good players and, um, we were like, well, nobody, you know, this guy's walking on it. He's not going to bother us. Well, by that spring he was starting. And, um, he was in the top five and then the next year he was all American. So long winded to answer your question. I don't think I saw it in the beginning, but you could see it festering and coming along and his work ethic was there. And this, the sound of his ball striking has always just been one of the best you've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, There's a, there's a few guys you hear it and see it. One of them is Justin, Jason Duffner. One of them is boo weekly. And, and, and you kind of hear the sound that they make and, and, you know, kind of like a tiger or Adam Scott. And it's, it's there. It's, it's real. Unreal. So yeah. really proud of him. You know, I mean, he's done, he's done a lot of, th- a lot of great things for himself and he's, he's a true Auburn guy and he still lives down there and does an enormous amount for the community. Um, he's very involved in some nonprofit stuff and raised a lot of money. And, and, um, I know he does a lot of, a lot of good work. Yeah. No, I, I, I really, I kind of, en- I really enjoyed the, just the, individuality of, of Jason Dufner. Uh, he is just not the cookie cutter pro out there. He just does his own thing. I love how he's just 
Yeah, I just, I really, I think we need more players like him. We need more characters. Yeah. We need more people that are just a little bit different. I remember, gosh, well, I guess that was maybe last year or the year before, he just did not have a, I don't think he had a sponsor, and he's just wearing all sorts of different hats that were just, it was great. Exactly. I was like, man, that's just like, that's the best. So, I love that. And now he's sponsored by Dude Wipes. Yeah, well, that one, I don't know. Someone, someone needs to get in his head about that one. I, I'm not sure, you know. That that one I would probably draw the line. I'm like, because at some point, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I look at Jason Duffner. Duffner. I think, yeah, I know you look at Jason Duffner. I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta wipe my ass. Yeah, like that's not. You don't want that happening. That's. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I want to be associated with that. But hey, um, as you can imagine, this episode is not sponsored by Dude Wipes. So I probably pissed away that chance right there. Um, but it, but it could be. It could be. It could be. Get it, call Duffner for me. Let me see if we can work yeah. that out. Work out some magic. Um, so you play at, at at Auburn, and you mentioned underachiever, but still you you turn professional. As I kind of imagine, anyone at a you know big D one program thinks, well, shit. You know, uh, do I go get a job with the degree I earned, or do I go give this professional golfing a shot? And that's exactly what you did. You played the Hooters Tour. You played the Golden Bear Tour down here in South Florida, I guess Central Florida maybe. Um, and, yeah, I remember that tour being mm-hmm. a big one down here. But, um, you know, as like I just said, you're not coming out as some big blue chip first-timer coming out of the college program with a bunch of endorsement money, I'm guessing. How do you facilitate a professional career coming out as, as you stated, an underachieving uh, collegiate golfer? Yeah. I definitely was an underachiever, but, um, and, and it was the hardest part was my fifth year. I, so I registered my fourth year knowing that I was going to have an extra semester of school left my fifth. And I, I selfishly wanted another football season. Um, so I, I, I did wait in my fifth year. I played every tournament, but the, I was playing poorly in the spring. Um, which was which is probably indicative of the fact that I had finished college in March and and in April and May I didn't have any classes, um, so it probably wasn't I probably wasn't taking it as seriously as I should looking back. Um, and my coach um, pulled me. He pulled me um, from going to the national championships. I played in the conference championships. I played in regionals. Didn't play well, but our team won, and we make it to the NCAA's. And, and he called me in his office, and you know he said, "I'm sorry, I'm not going to take you." And it was it was a huge blow. Um, but it was one of the great, great, probably one of the great things that happened to me because it kind of woke me up and I had already decided that I was going to go in to try to give the main tours a shot. And my dad said, I, I, I want, I want you to do this. I want you to see how good you can get. Right. Um, you, you've got the talent, but you needed to devote yourself. Um, and he said, I'll start you out. And so he paid my entry fee to the golden bear tour in 97, which I think was $15,000. Yeah, for 15 that's a, that sounds so about right. You know, it's organized gambling. Um, you had a hundred, and there's some great stories there. But you know, you got 144 guys or so that paid that money. So you had 144 thousand dollar purse or or minus the expenses, whatever they came out to be each event. And um, I, I rented a place down there with one of my buddies, Mason Petty, that played golf Alabama, and Steve Irwin, Hell Irwinstein. So the three of us split a split a condo in, in PGA national. And I remember going out and my first event was only a two day event. And I, I shot 67, 69. I hadn't broken 70 in two months, probably in college. And I made $2,700. Wow. 
uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is awesome. Oh, on top of the um, world. And I played with a guy named Ed Humanick. I don't oh, know if you remember that oh, name, yeah. but oh yeah, oh, you yeah. know he was on the tour at one point, and um, but that was my first experience, and I thought I can do this, and so I believe I made around mid like thirty three thousand or thirty five thousand dollars that summer. Um, and covered all my expenses and then some, and, and my dad made a deal with me. He's like, you pay me back. Um, and once you pay me back, I'll give you a percent of every check you make. Um, and you, you know, throw the rest back in the kitty so we can keep going. And so that's, you know, I, I was blessed from that standpoint that, that I had help, um, for a while. Um, but it was a great experience. I, I, you know, I, I think the Golden Bear tour was a good place to start. I don't think it was a perfect place because, you know, you're riding in carts, um, you're in South Florida, there's a lot of rain delays, you're not really traveling. So you don't learn that aspect of it, but it is good to get your feet wet from the standpoint of you're playing for a lot of money and, and there's money on the line. The thing about the mini tours, I've had, I've had Scott Turner who on, on this podcast, good friend, he's uh, he runs the minor league golf tour. And then obviously, like you mentioned, there's, there was the golden bear and there, you know, Hooters tour, I think was probably one of the closest, uh, to a, a, you know, 54, yep. 72 hole, you know, professional tour. But you know, you you mentioned you've played you've played the mini tours. I guess what like eight nine years. You you gave it a run yeah. as playing professional. How mm-hmm. so? How do you? Gosh, I mean, I'm guessing. How do you finally decide? I mean, I guess if you run out of money and you just you just can't do it anymore, then that the decision's made for you. But how do you make the decision of how long is is enough? You know. Yeah. You, it, you know how do you? I mean, there's probably guys that are still grinding at the ages of like mm-hmm. 36, 37. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you might be able to, you know, make a couple bucks on the minor tour, but you, I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to go out there and try and, uh, I mean, every single year there's 21 year olds that are starting out. You're going to go up against these guys. That's right. Like, how do you make the decision <laughs> to keep going every year? I, I don't know the, the exact the exact answer to that other than evaluating your game and evaluating your body and evaluating your bank account, evaluating your goals. But for me, you know, it was it was one of those things for me was I played pretty good um, my first three to four years. I never got through first stage. I put a ton of pressure on myself like I still do today and never got through first stage. And I had the game to do it, uh, you know, guys that I – we're competing with and beating all year long would get through first stage and they get through second stage and they get their, their, one of their cards. And, um, and for me, it was starting over. And then, you know, I met my wife and we got married in Oh one. Um, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary and, um, thank you. Um, and I started putting a ton of pressure on myself and I started working really hard, but what I didn't do was work smart and it really backfired. And I can remember, um, where I was on the golden bear tour. Um, I think it's called Emerald dunes. The first time I yipped the putt. Um, and it was less than two feet. And I said, Whoa, what was that? So for 2001, two and three, uh, it was awful. Uh, I was really struggling, but I just got married and, and my wife and I had made a pact that we were going to get after this and keep it going. And, and I didn't want to quit. And part of me, I didn't want to quit because I, I wanted to conquer kind of what my shortcomings were at the time and, and the mental part. Cause I didn't want to end on that. Um, right. so I really worked hard. I, I was, uh, lucky enough to go work with Dr. Otella and he helped me. Um, and in Oh four, I started playing better golf 
and was playing some Hooters tour and some money qualifying and, um, was playing better golf and didn't get to Q school again. But I, but I raised some money. Um, I, I was, I was, you know, I told my dad a few years, a couple of years before that I was done. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to do this on my own and figure this out and go and, and kind of sell myself to guys. And here's my plan. Here's my business model. Here's what I want to do. Can you help me out? Would you be interested? And I sold, I think I sold five, I wanted to do $5,000 shares for a total of $50,000 a year. Um, and I had a couple of even buddies I went to college with that did $2,500 and I'll never forget, forget that. And just always thankful that they did that. But yeah. in 2005, I Monday qualified at Pebble beach. Um, I Monday qualified for a web tour event. I, um, was playing great golf, played the Hooters tour. I won on the Hooters tour. Um, and it, it, things were just clicking and I thought, okay, this is going to, this is going to be it. And, um, didn't get through Q school again and just said, honey, I want to start a family. I want to make some money. I want to have a paycheck and, uh, I want to get off the road and my body's just telling me, you know, and, and, and going back to your point about, man, there's some guys that are 36, 37. I know the guys that are still in their early forties and I got a buddy that, that thankfully made it on the senior tour, Scott Perrell, yeah, who did this for so long. He did it all the way to the senior tour and now he's top 10 in it in the, on the money list and making millions of dollars. I'm just so proud of him, but you know, that, that, that is few and far between for him, but you get to a point where it's almost like there's no return. Like, what are these guys going to do? Right. You know, I was 32 and I quit and, and gotten, gotten, become a financial advisor. And, and I at least look like I had some, some, some street experience. Um, but at, you know, at, at 37, 40 years old to stop, and try to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life would be very, very tough. Yeah. No, um, you're, so. you're, it's a great point that you're bringing up. You know, it's, it's, you know, what, you know, unless you have someone that can, you know, plug and play you into a, a sales job or, or insurance yep. or some, you have some sort of skills. That's right. And if you don't have it, then what are you going to do? I mean, it's right. You know, what, what do you put on a resume? Well, I, I, I'm, you know, I, do organized golf gambling for the last 15 years. I don't know how, how you can fill up a resume with that, but you know, I don't know, you know, that's kind of, kind of, kind of tough with that, but um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, and, you know, before we talk a little bit about the amateur uh, side and, and that's even more fascinating to me uh, because of how you, uh, you know, basically through your own admission really didn't know what was waiting for you on the amateur side of it. I can't skip past the Hooters tour. I've said it numerous times on this podcast. Somebody out there has got to start a Hooters tour podcast because the stories from that. Oh my are, gosh. Exactly. Like I, <laughs> I, that I would shut this one down and just listen to that one full time. But, um, oh, you, you have probably too many stories to choose from. Um, I spoke with Jonathan Dismuke who uh, went to Auburn. Who's <laughs> the coach at, yep. uh, at Houston. He shared a great one. I know there's no way you're going to let me down. So, yeah, Diz was Diz was was a good old friend of mine, um, and just, just love that kid to death. And <laughs> and he's funny in his own right. I mean, he he tells some great stories. Um, growing up in Mississippi, uh, he was actually there um, when I won my first event. I remember that he was he he was such a good friend that he was on the back of the green um, when I came up 18th. And I needed to make about a four footer downhill to win, and um, <clears throat> I remember hugging him because the week before. I was in contention and hit a ball out of bounds on like my 17th hole in the final round and went from like second to 15th and made like 1200 bucks. Um, and was just distraught and, and told my wife, I just can't do this anymore. And then I go the next week and I win. And, um, 
But what's so funny about that week is we were in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. I think it's called Blytheville, Arkansas, about an hour north of Memphis. And the golf course was incredible. Um, I think it was called Thunder Bayou. Awesome golf course in the middle of nowhere. But we're in this town where I ate McDonald's for breakfast, Subway for lunch, and Ken's Pizza for dinner five nights in a row. <laughs> That's all they had. And it obviously was a good formula, but – you know, I, my body was, was hating me. I would imagine, we stayed, yeah. we stayed at the grossest hotel that week. And I remember I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even dry off with, with the towels. Um, I used my golf towel, um, cause they were so, these just cigarettes smelled like cigarettes. The air conditioning didn't work. It was the middle of August. I was rooming with Jake Reeves. Um, who's a good friend and lives in Knoxville and a good, he's a good, good instructor now. But, um, the funny part of that week is I finally won, you know, and you get this big happy Gilmore check when your picture made. Yep. Um, and there's usually Hooters girls standing around, you know, yes. you know, kind of draping on you. Well, we're in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. There's no Hooters around there. And I got two of the fattest guys you've ever seen standing next to me on that picture. And my <laughs> wife, my wife thinks that's the greatest thing ever that, uh-huh. um, that, that I didn't, I didn't get the, uh, the skimpy, Right. Can't be outfits. <laughs> you're, that's, you're playing a Hooters tour event. You're thinking oh, there's going to be Hooters girls everywhere. You finally win. You cash a check, and you got Jethro and Bubba next to you congratulating you. Um, yep, that's a bummer. that was it. That's that sucks. <laughs> well, all right. but I'm I'm sure there's many other funny stories, and um, but it, it was it what they it was truly a good a good and well run professional tour. Like it was the real deal. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. the Canadian tour. It was four days of golf tournament. You had a pro-am every week. You had practice rounds. You had to wear pants. Um, and you had to travel and figure out where you're going to wash your clothes and all that. And, and so, I mean, you know, Zach Johnson's the king of the Hooters tour. I mean, he won, I don't know how many times he won, 85 times or something. But, um, well, you got him, you, know, he, you got Ted Potter, and you got Chad Campbell. I mean, that's. Oh, yeah. Those guys, they, they were they were incredible. Um, so it, it was legit. It, it's. um you know, I don't keep up with the mini tours anymore, but I know there's not, there's a lot less places to play than there used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it seems like there's a lot of one day and two day stuff. And I still, I, I think that's it's, right. You know, it's a, it's a place to, to keep sharp, but I still just, you know, I still don't know how the, the 36 hole and the 18 hole stuff is, is going to get you, you know, ready to, to play on the big stages, but Hey, there's people that do it. People do it all the time. I know. So, yep. So you you decide to become a mere mortal and and become mm-hmm. a, a a working stiff like the rest of us with the nine to five and starting the family and and I guess around this point I guess you're you're moving to Charlotte North Carolina which is where you live now mm-hmm. and it's funny we we spoke at the East West matches uh, at Merido and I know you're you're thrilled to be a part of that and there's so many great midams there that have had all these great you know, USGA accomplishments, whether it's, you know, Paul Simpson with his senior amateur wins and there are a handful of, uh, you know, mid-am, U.S. mid-am champs there and, and just the, the, the litany of, uh, of players and their resumes go down the line. Um, you really had no idea about this amateur world when you, when you got your status back, did you? None. Um, <laughs> none, none at all. I mean, zero, zero. I, um, you know, I didn't even know if I would ever play in, a, in another tournament. It wasn't like, you know, I was so bummed that I, I was giving up on my dream um, from a golf perspective that I, I didn't consider that, hey, in two years from now, I'm going to be able to play in 
in maybe some cool amateur events, it was, hey, two years from now, I'll be able to play in a member guest. Right, um, right. Well, that's or, what I was going to say. Or I'll be like, able to I'm, play in my club championship, yeah, right? That, I, it wasn't anything besides that yeah, for me. That's, that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm assuming the reason, the only reason you get your status back is to basically help you with your, your professional career as a financial uh, advisor. You know, you're probably yep. either inviting clients to – play as your guest or they're saying, Hey, here, this, we got this former pro here. Let's bring him out to our club and, and clean up. Yep. That's it. Um, and so it, that's kind of what it was in the beginning. I mean, especially with, with me trying to build my, my business. I mean, when I, when I got hired here at the firm I'm with, I've been there the whole time since I quit playing. And, um, it's a, it's a, a great, um, boutique regional firm that, that is very well known and, um, it's called Carroll financial. And they, 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 this guy hired me and he said, here's your desk, here's your phone, here's your computer, get your series seven or 66 and then hit the pavement and start building your book of business. And, you know, he paid me $36,000 my first year, $18,000 my second year and zero my third. And so I didn't have a whole lot of time to focus on I would imagine what golf tournament I might get to play in or, or whatever, unless I got invited to a member guest, which I did a couple of times. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I'm like, man, this is, this is fun golf. This is awesome. Give me a, you know, give me a Miller light and, and, um, let's tee it up and have fun, which, you know, I never, ever did before. I would never let my guard down and, and have a, have a cold beer on the golf course. Um, when I was playing professionally, because I thought it would create bad habits Sure. when, when, when actually I played better. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And, and, and so then, you know, that, that was, I got my amateur stats back in 08, um, and then, you know, the, the Charlotte city amateur kind of is becoming popular again. Um, a, a great guy named Braxton, um, McLennan put that back together and, and it, it's, it's become a, an awesome event where we play Charlotte country club and Myers park country club and Quell hollow. And so Quell hollow had agreed to host like the last round once every three years, right. um, which was just fantastic. Um, and so that was a big draw. And so I played in that. And then I would go back home and play in the Birmingham Invitational, which is an awesome mid-am event at, at my favorite club in America. Um, but that was it. I played in those two events. Um, and, and then all of a sudden I hear about, I didn't, honest to God, I didn't even know what the U.S. mid-am was. I never even heard of it. I didn't know they had one. Um, I knew about the U.S. amateur because I missed that a few times um, trying to qualify when I was in college. Right. But I didn't know there was a mid-am. And so I tried to qualify for it a few times, missed by one, two years in a row. Uh, and then started kind of getting hunger back again. Like I see guys from Charlotte that I knew that were qualifying for this event. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's your goal. You want to play in a, in a USJ event because at that point in time, I, I had never played in one. Unreal. Um, so in, I don't know. I think I finished second in the Birmingham Invitational one year behind Patrick Kristovich, which I know you had, and oh, I was yeah. so proud of him and, and happy for him on uh, to finish out the East West like he did. He, you know, he needed that, and and it was really cool of him to, to kind of get that final win point, winning point, even though he was on the opposite side. But um, so I finished second to him one year, and I remember him telling me, I remember this Ben. He said, "Yeah, I play in this, 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 and this, and this. Last year, I'm gonna play in this, 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 and this. This year, I'm thinking, oh my god, that's like." I can't imagine how much that cost to travel sure. and entry fee and plane tickets and so forth. And I'm like, I could never do that, but I, but I still wanted to play in a mid-am. And so my brother-in-law and I tried to qualify for the U S four ball in the spring of 16. And we go out and we shoot 64 and win the qualifier and we get to go play wing foot. 
in the U.S. four ball. My brother-in-law is a great player. That's how I met my wife. He played at SMU, and he played the mini tours for about 10 years. And he who's won your, three who's times your on, the Canadian, who's your on the Canadian tour. His name is Stephen Woodard. Um, great, just a great guy. My, one of my, my best friends. And he, um, he introduced me to his sister, thankfully, and, um, allowed me to go out on a date with her. Um, but so we get to go, we get to go to that. And I'm like, okay, I made a USJ event and we get up there and I acted like I'd never played in a golf tournament before. I was so tight and nervous <laughs> and just played. We missed, I think we missed a cut by two, but I played terrible. Um, but I got a little taste of it. Sure. And then I go and because I got a taste of it, I got a little more comfortable and I actually qualified for the mid-am that year, um, uh, in Pennsylvania. And, um, I think I was fifth after the, after the, the two rounds and went to match play Stonewall, and, yeah. um, and Stonewall, two great golf courses and had a blast. I learned a lot about match play, um, that I had never really played match play. Um, that was my first really go at it. And, um, it was a long drive home back to Charlotte, but I was hungry. Um, I'm like, I want some of this. So, I, and I remember coming home, Ben, and watching Harvey and Hagestad go at it in the finals. And I'd gotten to know Scott a little bit at that point in time, not well. Um, but that was just an incredible, incredible day of golf to watch those two play and to do see what Stewart did um, and, and to win. And that made me hungry again. And then I didn't qualify again in 17. Um, but in 16, I was on the board of my club here in Charlotte, Carolina golf club. And it was announced that we were going to be the sister course for the 2018 U S mid-am to Charlotte country club. Oh, and yeah. from that point on, it was on my calendar. Right. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that. that and just, oh. so, so anytime I had an opportunity to focus on golf, which with young kids and job and carpooling and all that, it's not a lot, but I'm like, okay, I'm preparing for that. I'm going to get in that. Um, and I was so bummed in 17 when I didn't qualify f for Atlanta, but I remember, um, I still have it on my phone, you know, with a good friend of mine now, Parziali hugging his dad at the end of 18 yeah. and, yeah. or the end of the end of the match, whenever it ended. And, and I still have it on my phone and I had it on my phone. I took, I, I took a snap of that and I said, you know, that's kind of my, I know it's kind of cheesy, but that was kind of my motivation for yeah. the following year. Um, yeah. knowing that it was in Charlotte. So, you know, so before That's we, so, led, yes, led yeah, absolutely. So, so before we talk about this 2018 U.S. Mid-Am at, at Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte, and, and I want to, I just want to ask really quickly. You, know, you mentioned the Charlotte City Amateur, and I know you've played in in the Anderson Memorial. You've won that. You won that in 2018, and then obviously you won the Charlotte City Amateur Championship. You briefly touched upon it, but we we rarely hear about the city championships anymore it's mm -hmm. all about the state mm -hmm. ams and the invitationals and the the cocktail circuit stuff um you know when i think of a city championship i think back to like kind of like san francisco at olympic and harding park how i mean how important are these city amateur championships i mean you could obviously speak to charlotte but you mentioned it kind of got a new boost in head of steam but how important is that amateur championship, not only to the city, but to the people that are competing in it and, and end up winning it? Another great question because, because truly it, it's a lot for a lot of these guys like myself, right? I mean, I couldn't get in any of these other events that I've been blessed to play with, right. play in since the mid, since the mid M 
And so for a lot of guys, that's their major. Right. Um, exactly. It was my, it was my, it was my major. Um, and you know, we have, I mean, I don't know how many guys Braxton has to, has, has qualified. He has two different days of qualifiers. Holy and cow. this is only, you have to live in Mecklenburg County. You can't live across oh the border, God. which stinks for some guys that, that are technically, you know, part of Charlotte proper, but right. um, it is what it is. And, and I mean, I think he gets 150 or more guys to try to qualify. Um, maybe 200. And so it's a big deal to a lot of people. And the fact that we got the best courses in Charlotte, um, to, 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 to agree to host guys, um, on, you know, on at least one round, um, is really the draw. Right. And, and is what's, and is what Braxton has made it to be. Um, and he has a great Instagram site about it and following and, and it's a big deal. It, it really is. Um, and it's, it's the people's, you know, a lot of it's their major. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure I follow that. And I think that's, that's a great story. I think we need more of that. I think every, we need more city championships. We need, uh, we need things like that just to, to keep the game, not just growing the game, but keep it competitive, keep it competitive. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that, it's a nice badge of honor to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I won the city championship. I think that's, that's you're great. right. We need more of that. You're right. And it takes, it takes, I, I, I didn't really answer your question. I think, I think it would be great for Birmingham, Atlanta. I, I'm, I, I bet Chicago, I don't know, probably maybe, maybe has one, but or DC or New York or, and they have the Metro, but you know, I, St. Louis where skip lives. You know, I, I think there should be, a great city championship and what it's going to take is somebody like Braxton McClendon that, that started ours that knows a lot of people. And he went to the power guys at all these clubs. And he says, if I can get you on board with this tournament, then I think we can get your club because yeah. while, you know, while a city championship would be great playing at XYZ municipal, it's even better if you play at the courses like we're playing in Charlotte or the great courses in Atlanta or St. Louis or Birmingham, right? It would be, it it would just it would give it that much more meaning, oh, and yeah. a lot of guys don't have the opportunity to play some of those courses. So, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. So you go to this, or you have you, you mentioned you have this 2018 U.S. Mid Amateur Championship on your calendar, circled in in mm-hmm. all sorts of different colored pens. I'm imagining. I mean, this is this is it, <laughs> and you know couple of questions I have for you, but you know, you target this championship, it's in your hometown. I'm guessing that there, like you said, there's all these great golf courses in Charlotte. So if I'm in your shoes, I'm thinking, man, I got all this time to prepare. I'm going to, as soon as they announce where the local qualifier is, because it's only 18 holes, man, I'm going to find out what course that is. And I am going to beg, borrow and steal my way into as many practice rounds as possible. I'm going to know that place frontwards and backwards that's what i would do i am not <laughs> brett boner because you get on a plane and fly elsewhere for your one shot to play your hometown u.s mid-amateur so um help help what what's what's happening here yeah now that you say it like that it doesn't sound too smart um <clears throat> but no 2018 was 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 a year that i'll never forget in golf i, I without a doubt played my best golf of my life which makes no sense. I was 44 years old. <laughs> um, I, my good friend, Steve Harwell asked me to go down to the junior senior, um, at the die preserve in January. And we break the tournament record and win that by, I don't know how many shots. How good and is that guy? I, how good is that guy, by the way? Steve, he's incredible. Uh-huh. And, and he's ageless evidently. Um, 
And um, so win that. And then I believe I finished second at the Carolinas Mid-Am um, by a shot. I uh, go to play in Birmingham Invitational, which was in June at that point in time. I should have won. I missed a three-footer on the 18th hole to win, go to a playoff and miss another three-footer to keep the playoff going. And so I finished second there and I'm just, I'm, I'm ticked. Um, the next weekend, my brother-in-law and I go, we got invited to the Anderson the year before we lost in the finals and we go to the Anderson in 18 and we win. So, I mean, I, I'd had, I mean, this has never happened to me. And that's a, I, and that's a, not to cut you off, but that's, that's a invitational four ball at Wingfoot, correct? That is a win, invitational four ball at Wingfoot. It's very hard to get into you. You and your partner have to be members of the same club. Um, and I personally think Wingfoot is the Mecca of golf. Okay. Um, there will be many people that would disagree with that, but um, I, I just think it's about as pure as it gets. Mem- the members are incredible, um, very welcoming, um, just a, obviously an incredible, incredibly beautiful site um, with 36 holes of just awesome golf that, in my opinion, could host a U.S. Open the day we play the Anderson. I mean, it's, it's that good always. Um, that superintendent's incredible. But, yeah, it's hard to get into. And we got into it in 17, and we kind of big bar- we kind of big borrowed there and, and got in. And then we win it in 18. So I won two four balls and finished second in two individual events. Um, so I'm playing good. Um, but to your original point, I, uh, Ben, I, I feel like I'm a better putter on bent grass. I feel like I can read – bent grass better I, i've never been a which is weird because i putted really good when i played the golden bear tour but i mean back then it was it was true bermuda where you could see the grain and the side of the hole was tore up and you know shiny or dark and, yeah. and some of this new bermuda i i really i really don't see it well um and so i said i'm going to go somewhere that has bent grass greens I, I knew that before i ever saw the qualifying sites um and in north carolina I, if I can remember correctly, the, the two courses they had were Bermuda greens. And I think the one in obviously South Carolina was Bermuda. So I said, I got to find a place. And I did some research and I think, you know, I always looked at some, I looked back at some scores around the Philly area and New Jersey area and New York area. And based on my work schedule and my family schedule, the one in Philadelphia just kind of worked. And um, so never seen the course in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. I, fly up on Sunday morning, um, the day before the qualifier to play a practice round. Oh God. Um, I land in Philly, my phone turns on and it said, it was a text from American airlines. It's your bag is still in Charlotte. (laughs) And and so I'm like, this, this can't be happening. And, um, thankfully I was on a very early flight and, um, they assured me, whatever that means to the airlines that my, my golf bag would be on the next flight. So I went and got the rental car, went and got something to eat about 30 minutes away. I'd never been to Philly. I didn't know where I was going. Um, and then came back to the airport, parked in the cell lot, took a nap and, you know, three or four hours from when I last landed, my bag comes. Thankfully it came. The guy was really nice. He actually brought it out to the curb for me and took my cell phone number and said, listen, man, I know you, this is a big day for you. Um, cause he asked me about it and he said, here, give me your cell phone number. I'll call you as soon as I have it and I'll bring it to the curb, which was awesome. So he brings it to the curb. I go to Bluebell and play my practice round. I just flew around in a golf cart, um, and looked at it, just made sure I looked at every hole and then went out and shot 67 the next day. Um, and, and got in and it was, 
you know, it was like one of those big, huge sighs of relief that I knew I had a ton of people in Charlotte rooting for me. Um, and it, you know, you don't always reach your goals in, in golf. I, I tell people we eat more poop sandwiches than we, than we eat a nice melted cheese turkey sandwich. So, um, it was one of those, those great days, um, for me and my golf life to qualify for that. One of the things I try and do on this podcast is try and have each guest kind of relay something that a listener can, can maybe take and incorporate into their game. And you can apply this or you can reference the qualifier or you can reference your performance in the entire tournament, which uh, ended, you know, which, which brought you all the way to the championship match. How do you perform? And I think I've asked this question other times, but I think it's a, it's very important and very uh, uh, poignant here. How do you get the best out of your game when you know it means that much more to you than perhaps any other round? I mean, you wanted to be at this U.S. mid-amateur so damn bad. It's in your hometown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you're waiting on your clubs, and it's 18 holes to qualify. The U.S. mid-amateur is tough to qualify for. It's 18 holes. I mean, you get a couple bad breaks, you make a double bogey on one hole, and you're that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Um, not that you can't recover from double, but... My point is that this is a big round of golf to get in, and then obviously you want to play well in your hometown. How do you get the best out of your game? How did you get the best out of your game when you knew it was super important? I'm I'm big on routine, um, and I think for me, if I can, if I'm getting lost in my routine, then I'm doing what I need to do. Um, if I'm not thinking about the what ifs um, or or necessarily the the how tos. Um, but I look and I see the shot and I commit to it by going through my routine. And then I just accept the outcome, especially in a, in a day like this with no reaction to the outcome of each shot, then, then at least my head's in the right place. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to play great golf, obviously, but that's, that, that's the big key for me. And on a day like that, you know, I, I think guys, they might make a bogey, some guys in, in the first few holes and they just completely think that their day is shot when, you know, there's a lot of times where one or two under my qualifier at least get you in the playoff. Um, and so I think patience is key in these qualifiers, just like it is in the first two rounds of the USAM or the, or the mid-am. Like you don't have to play your best golf in those two rounds, right? but you just got to be patient with yourself and, and realize it's not the end of the world. If you do have one of those bad holes, um, a little bit more sense of urgency in an 18 hole qualifier. Uh, but man, I, I just, I kind of went through the golf course in that practice round and I said, okay, this par five is gettable. This par five is gettable. All right. Th- this par four is, is definitely, you know, this, this club off the tee and you're going to have wedges into these three or four or five holes, hitting your wedges. Good. You knock it close, make a few putts and, you know, but, and then you really commit to long irons on these par threes. Cause I mean, that's to me where a lot of guys, including myself, especially myself, where I struggle, um, like my par three performance probably isn't great. And so it was one of those where I'm, I'm going to commit to my club on part, every par three and commit to the shot. So it's routine and commitment. Well said. Want to make sure I pass that along to, to someone that really, you know, got just about everything he could out of just this experience you you know you go into this U.S. Mid-Am. Uh, I think your stroke play you finished around T five. You have relatively smooth matches, except for a twenty two hole marathon in the round of thirty two. Why did you do that? You're old. You just said you're old. Why would you do something like that? 
Well, I'm thankful for that because it it really I, I, that was probably the the luckiest break um, against Claudio, super super guy from Germany. Um, so you know my parents live in Birmingham. Who knows how long you're going to be in the U.S. Mid Am? So they didn't want to drive up. They didn't want to stay with us because they didn't want to be a distraction to me and the family during this time, which I thought was terrible. <laughs> I wish they'd have come, but. So they didn't come in the first two rounds. They did not come for my uh, first round match. And I guess it was the next day they let my wife know they were coming. Um, so they missed the morning match. No, no, I'm sorry. The morning match was that match with Claudio. Right. And um, and I look up, on. I'm on the 18th green, and we're all square going to 18. And I hit a horrific chip. I had about an eight footer downhill. He had about a four footer, maybe less. And I miss it. And I look, as soon as I miss it, he gave me the putt. I turned around and looked up and I saw my parents. Oh. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. They just got here. They're going to see this guy make this putt and it's over. And, you know, unfortunately for him, unfortunately for me, he missed it. And we go to one and anyway, whatever. I think I, I made a, a birdie or par on the fourth extra hole and got through. Um, so it was, I was very glad and thankful that my parents got to see more golf at least at that point in time. And then you roll in, I guess you, you kind of got through the round of 16 relatively, uh, smoothly four and three, and then, you know, get through the quarterfinals two up and then, then you're, you're in the semis against Stuart Hagestad, which as you mentioned just a little bit earlier, you saw, you know, you saw the fact that he won in 16 over Harvey. And I guess one thing I wanted to bring up that, you know, I guess, you know, whether people listening go to amateur events, especially match play amateur events, you know, as the week progresses, it's not like the fans start flocking in as it gets closer to the final. It's not like they're trickling in from the round of 64. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, nine deep in the, in the quarters and the semifinals. But um, in this situation, you have a pretty big contingency of fans because again, it's your own hometown. And is this, you know, this epic match you play against uh, Hagestad where you're reeling off putts uh, throughout the back nine. Do you, um, when was the last time you played in front of a crowd that big that were basically there following just you? I mean, I know you've Monday oh. into, I know you've Monday into events yeah. and you've played on the PGA tour, but I think you can agree that people aren't coming out to see Brett Boner at Pebble beach. Yeah. No, um, other than to make fun of my last name. Well, no, um, I, you know, I didn't listen. We're going to stop the episode right here. Did you realize <laughs> that we are over an hour in and I did not for once say that the name Brett is funny? I have never made fun of your name, Brett, once. And I don't think I'm getting well, any I credit for I that. I appreciate I mean, that. I, I always heard you were a kind soul, I mean, so I appreciate that? that. All right, so anyway, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I I don't think I, I'd ever played in anything where there was that many people coming just to see me and the support that week was crazy. It really was. It was a dream. come. I mean, I won't say dream country. It was a dream. Like I was living in, it was an out of body experience because we're in my hometown. Um, it was also a tough experience, Ben, because my brother-in-law who I mentioned earlier, Steven, he qualified the day I qualified, he went to Virginia and got through in a playoff. So, and he grew up at Charlotte country club. Um, and, and so it was special for us. I mean, our, our parents, I mean, our families, our wives, our children, followed us that week. He made it to match play. He lost in the second round. If he would have won two more matches, he and I were going to be playing each other. Wow. So that was a storyline in and of itself. 
but the the people out following it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. I, I remember people from church, people from the neighborhood, people from work, people from the club. They just people. I just kept seeing faces and faces and faces. And I think it gives you a lot of energy. Um, and I think I was just so focused that week that it didn't it didn't like get to me. It didn't make me any more nervous at all. I mean, I think what's on the line makes you nervous anyway. So um, I think maybe it helped. Um, I think it definitely helped from the opposing players um, and, and them knowing that they had a big contingency rooting against them. Um, so it was, it was really neat. It was really neat. Who in your contingency of fans at the U.S. Mid-Am did you perhaps think was this man, this guy's going to get kicked out? I mean, I love him, but he is just, this might not be his first time, or this might be his first time at a golf tournament. We're not exactly at a, you know, at a, at a NASCAR event here. Um, can you think of someone that, that was close to you that was there that you were like, you're trying to worry about your own golf, but you're also worried about like, oh, shit, um, we might have a problem here. Why would he get kicked out? I don't know. You mean like running on too the, many beers, too or? many beers running on the course, just yelling or something like that. It's just, it, I'm just, no, I'm just were, fishing <laughs> for a joke, really. I just thought there were a couple guys in a couple guys in blue jeans that I thought, you know, <laughs> did you really wear blue jeans out here um, <laughs> to Charlotte Country Club? But um, you know, at the same time, I knew I knew one of them for sure didn't know anything about golf. Okay, um, right. No, no, I was just fishing and, for a joke. And, so I, I, I didn't know nobody did anything too crazy. Um, now if I'd have won, they, it could have been another story. Oh, so. sure. Sure. So you have this great match against Hagestad. Now you and I talked about this, how you thought a lot of people ask you about that, that match more so than the Kevin O'Connell match. Am I missing something about that yeah. match or, or what, what are you missing about that? <laughs> um, you're unbelievable. Um, I think one, I mean, obviously Stewart is just, just, this incredible amateur golfer, right? He's right. on a Walker cup already. And in my opinion, should be on another one. Um, and he's one of the best amateur golfers in the world. Yep. Um, right. He's also, um, got a, you, you know, he's, he's just well known and everybody, everybody knows who Stuart Hagerstad is. He's this West coast guy. He's really tall. He's a good looking dude. Um, hits it a mile. Um, and I think, I think he was 29. No, I don't, no, no, he's younger. Than, I think he was 27. Um, yeah, it sounds about right. Cause I believe he was 25 when he won, um, at Stonewall. Um, so I'm 44 years old and there's no way I should be, should be hanging with this guy. And, and it was a back and forth match. And I remember going back to the comment about gaming, we get to a number 11, a par three. And I think in the morning round, I hit like a six iron. And we get up there and they got the tee way up and it's over water. And this pen is literally four steps on the green, six steps over the water. And, um, I remember hitting this like sawed off wedge and I hit it to about eight or 10 feet and he gets up and he gets, he gets a shot maybe even inside me and we're walking off the tee and he goes, did you hit that fat? And I thought, and I mean, I just hit it eight feet. Right. And I thought, I thought I hit it pretty good. I looked at him. I said, no, man, I hit it pure. Um, I don't know if the experience two years earlier helped me not let that get to me. I don't know if, if he was trying to game me or not, but it, it you know, maybe I'm being defensive from what happened two years earlier, but it just kind of appeared that he, he gained me, but I got, I got through it. I went up and made the putt. So did he, we moved on. 
Um, and then I just started making putts, um, coming in and made, you know, the greatest putt of my life on the last hole to beat him. Yeah. That, that putt on 18 and the, and the reaction and the fist pump, uh, uh, that's, that's one of the best. I mean, that, that fist pump is actually Steve Harwell esque that I saw at the East West matches. I mean, it's yours is good. It's in the same conversation, but his is, I mean, legendary. I got, I captured a photo of him, like, like one of the multi- multiple frames of that. I mean, there it's, it, 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 it's, it was legendary. So, um, so you get through Hagestad, obviously, I mean, I guess, you know, when looking at the seating, I think he was eight, you were five, so it's not really, was an upset, but I'm guessing you're thinking it was just because of his stature in the game and, and the age difference, but you now are in the, the final of the U S Midam and it's an all Carolina final with, with Kevin O'Connell. Mm-hmm. And I think you had said previously in interviews, you just, you just didn't have your best uh, that day. And, uh, you know, too many holes were, were won by Kevin due to just maybe you just, you yep. know, just too many bogeys, just too many, he's winning too many holes with pars. And you just couldn't recover from it. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about, I mean, obviously we know what happens to the, to the winner of the U S Midam, and that didn't, you know, obviously didn't go the way you wanted to, but I remember when that U S Midam was occurring, there was a lot of conversation about, amateurism and reinstated amateurs and both you and Kevin are reinstated amateurs. <laughs> and I remember mm-hmm. how they were like, you know, first of all, I've met Kevin O'Connell uh, at East West. I met him at the USAM and just the nicest guy and funnier and shit. I mean, just the nicest guy in the world. And yep. I just remember thinking, you know, the rules are in place by the USGA of how you can get your amateur status back. They make the decisions. And I just remember it's felt unfair that, People were talking about, well, he's, you know, just he's going to be turning pro soon. He figured he'd just dip a toe into this U.S. Mid-Am, and now he wins it. And it almost felt like you had just he was leaning towards being a professional but playing it, playing an amateur event. Um, you both are in the same boat. You're Reed State amateurs. You want to play competitive golf again. What are your feelings on on reinstated amateurs? I mean, I know you're you're one of them. You may be partial, but, I mean, I'm sure this yeah. conversation comes up to you numerous times. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, that's loaded. It's a loaded question and conversation. I, that was my first real taste of kind of a negativity around yeah. the reinstatement. Um, you know, friends would send me, and, and by the way, you mentioned, you know, I, I, I didn't play well that final match. I made too many mental mistakes. I, I got way ahead of myself. And, and there's a specific moment where we were, all square through the first nine holes and Kevin hit a terrible tee shot on 10 and I hit a great tee shot and he hit a poor second shot. And I'm, and, and unfortunately it's one of those moments where you get ahead of yourself and I'm like, I'm about to go one up and I got a wedge to this back left hole and I pull it and I hit it to where you really, the only place you can't hit it. Um, and I ended up making a double bogey and he made bogey and won the hole instead of me being one up, I'm one down and I just wouldn't forgive myself for that. And it just started amplifying and snowballing and my mind was going quicker and I just lost the next four holes in a row. And so I lost five holes in a row and it was just almost, I mean, it wasn't almost, it was, I couldn't recover. And so just couldn't believe that I blew it like that because everything, the process was working the whole week until that one shot. Um, and it's just the fact that it was a bread and butter wedge shot. It, you know, it upsets me even more. So, um, but I remember friends sending me kind of cool tweets that, somebody would send like Jay Billis was out there following us and Billis took a video and I guess he posted it on Twitter and the comments after that, um, whether it 
whether it's about my golf swing or about my name or about my look or my clothes. I mean, it was, it was just constant, just negativity. Yeah. And I had never experienced anything like that. I'm not in the limelight, so I don't know. And then, you know, the USJ post stuff and people are sending me the USJ highlights from around the, the match against Stewart. And I read some of those comments, unfortunately, and this was after the tournament, but like, you know, stuff like, you know, I feel real sorry for, for Brett after playing the mini tours for nine years. Yeah. Um, right, or, exactly. you know, here, here's, here, here's a, yeah, yeah, real amateur here played mini tours for nine years. Well, Hey buddy, I played the mini tours for nine years cause I'm really not that damn good. Um, and I played the mini tours for nine years and never made it to the tour and never had exposure and never won a dollar on the PGA tour. So I just had never experienced that. And and I understand that it, it is a tough conversation to have and, there, there, there are gentlemen that shouldn't ever get their amateur status back, um, in my opinion. But I never considered myself one of them right. until, until that. I'm guessing Kevin faced the same stuff, if not worse. I'm sure. I yeah, mean, I'm sure. So, it is. It's an interesting conversation, and and I know that they're constantly, constantly, um, kind of monitoring it and and deciding you know, what's the best and, and all that. But, um, I think Charles Warren just got his amateur status back, back this past year. I think he had to wait eight years. Wow. Um, so I don't know how they come up with that formula. <laughs> That's crazy in and of itself. Like, uh, you know, I guess a year in their opinion, eight years away from the game for somebody like Charles, um, was enough to, to kind of say, okay, you're, you've kind of lost the edge of professional golf and now we accept you back into amateur golf. Yeah. Well, I, 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 well, I just was curious about it. And it, it's so funny. Cause like I've heard, you know, I've had that conversation numerous times and I, you know, people assume that, well, they play pro and then they just get their status back because they want to go win a U.S. mid-am and beat up on the, a lot of the everyday guys. And they're just like, really, you think that's the main, the only reason they want to do that? No, they think they just want to be able to, <laughs> I mean, really, you think they just show up at one of those and they just boat race everyone? Uh, no, I, I exactly. Don't, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think it's yeah. more, and I think it's great how you were like, I didn't know any of this U.S. Mid-Am shit existed. I think that's perfect. So, yep. Um, I didn't. No. Well, you've you've obviously had a, a fantastic time uh, playing mid-amateur golf. Uh, you know, we spoke a little bit about the East-West matches at Merido, but I, yeah, that that one was, uh, gosh, I mean, being in that room. Well, I'll just say real quick, sure. real quickly about that. Like, yeah. I got to thank Scott Harvey and those guys. In my opinion, and I think most others that played in that this past year would agree, like in the mid-am world, there, there's there's four big events. There's the U.S. mid-am, there's the Coleman at Seminole, there's the Thomas at L.A. Country Club, and there's the Crump at Pine Valley. And those will always be, if you can get in those four, played any of them, right? I mean, that that's that's the creme, the creme de la creme for mid-amateur golf. And those are hard to get into. Um, I think the East-West is going to me be right behind the U S mid am now. Um, I think it's going, it's that much fun, that many good players, that many great stories. Um, the, the, the history of the captains, um, the tightness of the guys. I pinched myself for even playing in the first one. I wish we would have won. I played absolutely horrific in the, my final match, actually out of body experience. I played good the first three, but the last one, I, and so I, I feel guilty that we didn't win. And I feel bad for coat for, uh, for Paul, for Captain Paul, but that to me is going to be like the goal, the two-year goal. Everybody's going to have have in their in their mind is yeah. to is to make that going forward. Yeah, that was an incredible experience for me to just you know be there covering it and just seeing. I mean, gosh, 
what was it, 650 USGA championships in the room at the at the same time? I mean, just stupid, stupid just unreal. Um, yep. Um, you mentioned the Thomas, the Crump, and the Coleman. Now, these are, like you said, these are pretty much the, the triple crown mid-am events, so to speak. Um, you've played in all three, so let me ask you a question. Thomas, Crump, Thomas at LACC, Crump at Pine Valley, mm-hmm. Coleman at Seminole. Most fun, most stressful, and which one would be the most fun for spectators? Wow, um, I think I, I think without I a doubt, Seminole, without a doubt, Seminole and, and Pine Valley are the most stressful. Okay, for your first time, okay, right, and, and because they're equally hard, right, um, in, in completely different ways. Um, and the Seminole was the first one I played in. Uh, uh, you know, my, my, that was my after I finished second in the mid am and, and lost in the finals. The next year, I, I got invited to those three, and Seminole was the first one. And again, I don't know any of these guys. Right. I, I don't right. know much about this whole secret. You know, I, I say, uh, I use this society. term yeah, yeah. as a funny. There's like this secret society of mid am golf that you can't break into. And um, I don't know a lot of them. And there's so many great quality guys out there that just love golf. Um, as I told you, I'm not a golf nerd. I don't know anything about golf equipment. I don't, I don't follow golf equipment. I, I just got a new Tylus driver and it's my first new drivers in 11, in 12 years. I'm still playing the nine and people, <laughs> oh and people God. make fun of me all the time. But so I don't know much about all this stuff. And I got to Seminole and I was so nervous and it was unfortunate because I played terrible. Um, and, um, but I, I did have fun and I got to meet a lot of these guys and they were so welcoming to me um, to to play in their kind of the the practice round, a little money game, and um, you know Skip Burtmeyer, um, who he and I were born on the same day in the same year, we became buddies, and and um, he took me in kind of and showed me around and introduced me to all these guys. So, but it was still stressful. Those two are so hard um, and so stressful. L.A. was a blast. My wife went with me. You know, you're playing in the middle of, of Beverly Hills on this incredible golf course that's about to host the U.S. Open soon. And, um, I had, I had played there before once before and just loved the place. It's got an awesome, cool vibe. So you're definitely a little bit more relaxed there. Uh, at least I was personally, um, and had a blast and I actually finished third. So, um, maybe that has something to do with it, but yeah. all three are just incredible. Um, well, Brett, uh, yes, this was a long episode. Uh, but, uh, you know, seriously, <laughs> I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, clearly you, you've, you've, been able to rise to the challenge against stiff competition and um i hope we can do this again sometime i hope you come back to the back of the range it was really great talking to you and meeting you at east west and uh, i wish you nothing but but the best in 2021 well ben thank you i i i want to say i appreciate your passion for this and for the amateur game of golf um it's really cool what you're doing and you know I, i'm hopeful that that these golf associations um around the country uh and these big tournaments you know continue to welcome you and, and hire you to come on and and cover their event because you know there's a lot of people out there that don't know much about all this stuff like even like i told you myself um and i think it would be great for you to con- continue what you do you're a great photographer um even though you you won't admit it um and you got a big talent so i, I hope that you can continue to grow this thing well, thank you very much, Brett, and thank you for being a guest here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.